Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to give a shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from Reading, Pennsylvania is Micah Storms. Micah, how you doing? Jason, I am doing well. Hard to complain after what I think was probably the best win of the season for the Red Sox. And I'm excited to talk about a winning series. I haven't had a lot of opportunities to do that, so I'll take that. And it really felt like tonight was the first time where I felt like playoff vibes in a Red Sox game, and I will take that any day of the week. So I'm doing well. I'm with you. This episode is going to be a tough one for the the bastards hate the Red Sox and root against them crowd because we're all feeling pretty good right now. Also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you? Splendid, as always. A quick uh, cup of coffee with the Atlanta Braves. I picked a sweep, so shows you all I know. I sweep for the, uh, excuse me, the Braves. Um, I, I think Charlie did too. Cody bravely gave um, the the Red Sox game one, but had them losing game two. So uh, Red Sox, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good series. Uh, two different games, you know, with two different tempos, but uh, got the job done. They are... In fourth place right now, they got a good one-game cushion on the Yankees, who are getting Aaron Judge back this weekend, by the way. Uh, Fourth place, seven games back from the division, and one and a half games out of the wild card. Seven and a half back out of the division. (laughs) Like, that's like, you know, that's kind of, I mean, we were, what, 12 or 14 games back at one point. And, I mean, we're still only a game out of last, like I said, but just goes to show you how Tampa has just absolutely free-falled and, um, you know, Baltimore still, you know, being the consistent team that they've been all year. So, uh, but still seven back, that's, uh, that's, that's impressive. And I was just looking down the standings, the Kansas City Royals, 29 and 75. (laughs) Jeez like what's the plan in kansas city i complain so much about finishing last every year but man i don't know i don't know how kansas city uh follows that team yeah it's it's rough over there in kansas city it's rough in that whole american league central frankly um you know maybe except for minnesota but um not not looking good over there but that division number, I mean, getting that to single digits games back does feel pretty good because you're right. It was like 10, 12, 14 games back for the longest time. Seven is not crazy to think that they could maybe do something there, especially with the way Tampa's playing. Um, and the wild card, obviously, a game and a half back, that that feels pretty good too. So it is within reach. We're not there yet, but it is very close within reach. And these two games against Atlanta were so crucial so important especially with 
trade deadline right around the corner next Tuesday. So it's coming and it's going to come fast. And a lot is going to change around uh, the landscape of baseball, but particularly in the American league uh, and particularly in the American league East. So we'll keep an eye on that. But for now, we're going to get into this Atlanta series. We're going to bring you our top five for this series. So Micah, lead us off. Who's coming in at number five. At number five is Connor Wong, and Wong had a, another really strong series. He was three for seven, um, and he had a huge, huge caught stealing there in the ninth inning to kind of bail Kenley Jansen out of the jam there. Uh, I was sweating there a little bit, especially after Pilar hits that single. It's first and third, and you just assume with how slow Jansen is to the plate that it's going to be second and third, one out, and then a single could tie the game. And Wong, you know, he, he gets a, a quick release and he throws out. I believe the runner had like 40-plus steals in AAA or something like that, which is super impressive. Um, but just a huge play. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I think Wong is really um, – really taking that next step and cementing himself as the starting catcher of the Boston Red Sox. If you look over his last seven games, he's hitting 440. If you go back 15 games, he's hitting 396. So not only is the defense really, really good, he's, he's a good defender. He throws runners out at a high rate, but the bat is starting to, to come into play. And the Red Sox don't need a ton of offense from the catcher, but if he can, you know, drive some runs in, provide some power, that's super valuable with how good defensively he is. So, you know, he's, he's been just so durable back there. I'm afraid to say something because I don't want to jinx it, but he's played so many games since McGuire's gone down. And it just seems like with him playing every day, he's just getting better and better and better. And the confidence is clearly growing. We've talked about the strikeout rate being a concern. It still is a concern. But again, this offense doesn't need him to hit 270, 280, 290. If he's hitting 240 with great defense, the Red Sox will take that every day of the week. So uh, this is another just huge step in the Red Sox development as an organization. The fact that he has taken that step as, an ex as a player. Um, tip of the cap to Wong. Terry. If Reese McGuire is the catcher in this game, there's runners on second and third. The the runner makes it. And, I, you know, I, I was wondering, ESPN did a good job. I mean, they're like, he's being put into the game to steal the space. That's what's going to happen. He's definitely running. And that was what it was. I mean, you can't go home just standing on first and letting the double play happen. You can't let the game end like that. You have to die trying. And that's what they did. And I noticed I was watching. I'm like, is he going to run on the first pitch, the second pitch or the third pitch is, is Kenley going to try to pick him off even. And Kenley held the ball basically as long as he could, you know, the clock counted down and then he pitched it to try to mess with the runner's timing. And then, Wong just had a basically a perfect throw to second, got the runner. And he his defense is so good. It, he could 
he could end a playoff series with his defense on a pickoff. Like it, having a player like him is just so pivotal in big games. And we were pretty blessed, you know, with Vasquez's defense. He was always an elite defender and had some big moments in the playoffs. But I'm thrilled with Connor Wong. All winter long, I said, I want him to get a lot of looks. I want him to have every chance to succeed. And if you're carrying Reese McGuire, you know, into this season after trading for him last year, why not? Reese McGuire isn't a game changer in any aspect of the game. There's nothing about Reese McGuire that's a game changer. Is he a quality backup? Yeah, absolutely. But, but I wanted Wong to have every chance. He's, he's hit for power throughout his career. Only six home runs this year. I kind of thought with a sample size this big and with as big of an opportunity uh, he's had, I, I would have assumed there would be more home runs. But he's hitting 254 with a 311 on base. That's more than adequate. I, I hate that he strikes out as much as he does. He actually leads uh, you know, the Red Sox active roster right now in strikeouts. Uh, he's got 87, Devers 82, um, while well, Casas actually has 84, but most of that was in, you know, the first couple of months. But, yeah, so I, I like what I'm seeing. And I was a big Sandy Leone guy. I swore by Sandy Leone just because he was a great game caller. And this was before Pitchcom and all that and analytics. I mean, even... As far back as 2016, which was his best season behind the plate for the Red Sox, analytics probably weren't, uh, you know, quite as good back then. And Sandy couldn't hit. He was barely a 200 hitter, if that. And, you know, so to get 254 with a 311 on base from Wong, I love it. Yeah. Connor Wong is another example of the Red Sox in certain scenarios this year, having reverse fortune when it comes to injuries on the main roster, because we talked about Jaron Duran, his emergence. We may not have seen if Adam Duvall wasn't hurt to start the year. Um, Connor Wong, we may not have seen this if Reese McGuire doesn't get hurt. And when Reese McGuire went down, we all sort of thought, okay, it's not like a tragic loss, but, Wong was at least starting to show that he was good defensively. So I said, okay, at least you'll have a solid defensive catcher back there, but he may provide you no offense. Now the offense is starting to come. Now the bat is starting to wake up. And I agree, like, I expected a little more power out of him, but you know what? I'm fine with this. 250, you know, getting on base, he, he does strike out too much, but he's not a black hole in that lineup. He, he's still – and I think he's still – kind of scares pitchers a little bit because they know he's got some power. They know if they groove a breaking ball down the middle, he's going to hit it over the monster. Um, I think particularly against left-handers, he he shows that danger. So he's still really valuable to them right now. And um, the leap he's made defensively is super impressive because to do that at the catcher position is not easy, especially for a guy who, when he first got here, they weren't sure if they were going to keep him at catcher. They kind of tried him out at different positions. You know, they bounced him around a little bit. Um, he's proven that he is a viable, you know, good everyday MLB catcher. And that development has been huge for the Red Sox this year. So again, it's just, 
you know, the injury to Reese McGuire was tough at the time, but it allowed Connor Wong to emerge. It allowed one of your young pieces to emerge. Um, so the Red Sox have been very lucky in that regard that that keeps happening. Um, hopefully, you know, we don't have to have any more injuries, you know, to reveal that, but, uh, at least, you know, for Connor Wong, it worked out. So that's been great to see, uh, coming in at number four, Terry, who's next on the list. That is going to be the $300 million man, as he is often referred to, uh, Rafi Devers. The whole month of July, Devers is just having fun playing baseball. And when Devers is having fun, he's highly productive. And usually the rest of the team falls in line behind him. So he had a really good series. He was, let's see, three for nine overall. Only one strikeout in the two games, which I love. I, I was just saying how, you know, he's the second or third highest uh, in strikeouts. So that was due to kind of a wonky first half. But that home run he had tonight to get the party started, to get the Red Sox on the board, that was way down and away. It was... I don't know how far out of the strike zone, but it was a good at least three or four inches, maybe more out of the strike zone. And he just golfed that thing. He golfed it and it went over the fence. And that, that's just crazy. And this is this is why you have Rafi Devers. I mean, this. This is the guy who's going to show up and be super clutch. And I just, I love to see it. The last thing we want with Rafi Devers is, is a narrative, you know, over a period of time where, oh, another bust contract by the Red Sox, another guy who's never truly going to live up to the 300 million. And we didn't really get close to that. I, I don't, I think Red Sox fans went kind of easy on him in the first half, just kind of knowing he would figure it out. But, man, uh, you know, if this team goes on a run, he's certainly going to be a huge part of that. And and also about the money, David Ortiz was never, like, I think the most he, he made was, you know, what, maybe 15 in a season. So the money was never really a thing. But I really believe that's never going to be a thing with Rafi Devers, despite the fact he's making a lot more. Like, so, you know, he's he's going to be, if we do this podcast for another 10 years, which is basically the life of his contract, he's going to he's gonna be the all-time Bastards of Boston stud leaders in, you know, weekend... We midweek top five leaders. Um, so just can't say enough about him. Yeah, definitely. Micah. Yeah, Terry, I agree. I think Devers is the perfect guy to take on a big contract because it just, I don't even think he realizes he makes as much money as he does. He just goes out and plays and acts like he's just a 19 year old kid back. You know, when we first saw him, he just doesn't change his, mentality he just goes out and plays the game which is what we love the the hard thing with devers it's like a love hate because he drives you he drives you nuts sometimes with when he expands the zone and he will swing at crazy pitches 
But then you love when he swings at crazy pitches sometimes because you get a result like tonight where he hits a ball that probably only Devers hits out of the ballpark because that ball would have probably went between his legs when he hits that ball out. It was unbelievable. His ability to hit bad pitches is probably – I would put his ability to, to do that up against any other big leaguer. Uh, it, it's just incredible. But at the same time, it can get him in trouble. But he has turned his season around. If you look at his last 30 games, he's hitting 321. And what I love the most is in that stretch of 30 games, he has 15 walks and only 23 strikeouts. So the walks have, was a real problem when he was slumping back in May. But now he's starting to take his walks. I do think the the the, con- the contributions from the rest of the offense, Duran, Yoshida, Turner, I think all of those guys really stepping their play up is really taking some of the pressure off him, and he's just going out and he's hitting. And that's his that's his only focus. And it's really starting to show in, in his performance. The only knock on Devers right now uh, is his defense, and that has been atrocious for much of this season. He is booting routine uh, ground balls, line, line outs. It, he scares me on pop-ups. The defense is a concern. I know people have said he's made tremendous strides. I do think he's improved, but he seems to make a ton of errors, way more than a major league third baseman should. But overall, I'm not here to knock Devers. He has been incredible. And when Devers goes, I think the Red Sox go. And if he had a slow first half, and he finishes finishes really strong in the second half. Nobody will remember the first sixty games because he's going to end the season on a high note. So, uh, a good series for Devers. Yeah, that home run was reminiscent of like Vlad Guerrero's senior, who would also do that. He would swing at everything, you know, pitches that were just wild outside of the zone, but he could do it. He got away with it, and he built a Hall of Fame career doing it. So. Um, I don't necessarily mind that Devers does it again. Sometimes it is maddening, especially when it's on like the first pitch and it's just way out of the zone and he pops up and you go, Oh, really? You couldn't have taken like two or three pitches here. Um, but then he does stuff like tonight and you go, okay, well, I I can't stay mad at at Rafi. Um, I agree. The defense is not, has not been as solid and he had a rough night tonight. You know, the, the ground ball by, by Riley that he, hesitated on then tried to charge and just got caught in between um the line drive that just bounced right off his glove w- was bad too um but it's good to see that in a way that like he has a bad defensive start to the game but later on when they need a big at bat he's still there mentally and he gives it to him so um that's exactly the kind of guy you want hitting in that spot and i do think that the lo- the rest of the lineup you know elevating has really helped him because he is much more relaxed now. And Rafi's at his best when he's relaxed and he's just enjoying himself and the team's going good. So the rest of the lineup's going good. So Rafi can kind of just, you know, take a deep breath, step back a little bit and say, okay, I don't have to go four for four with two home runs tonight because, you know, Yoshida's going to go three for three with a double and Duvall might hit one out. And, you know, even the bottom of the lineup might do something. So, I think that is really helping him as well. And if this is how he's going to play, if he's, you know, nice and relaxed now and the team's going well and, you know, that batting average is going to keep going up and he's going to keep hitting power, um, then, yeah, I don't think anyone is going to gripe 
about that contract for a very long time because he looks like he's definitely going to live up to it. So really good to see, uh, you know, what he's been doing at the plate lately. Uh, number three on the list, Terry, this is you again. Who do we got? That is going to be the redheaded stepfather, Justin Turner. It's just like I said when before we came on. That's why I hate it when we talk about stuff, because now I'm just I'm just rehashing what I've already told you. But the audience is hearing it for the first time. But when there was runners on second and third, it didn't matter how many outs there were. There were two outs. And Turner came up to the plate. I'm like, the Red Sox are going to take the lead. We were down, what, three to two at the time. And... Turner, it, it looked like it was going into the monster seats. It bounced off the monster, which was all we needed anyway with two outs. They were running no matter what. And he just he just did what he continued to do all season long. And the thing I love about Justin Turner is his approach at the plate never changes. It never changes. He simply just gives you a great at-bat, and that's it. With Devers, I mean, I kind of covered it. You know, he was, you know, he wasn't very consistent in the first half. And I think that was due to, you know, his mindset at various times. With Turner, it's just, it's just the ultimate level of consistency every single time. And, you know, and that, that's what it takes to win. And, you know, Jaron Duran hitting 400 in a, um, Jaron Duran hitting, you know, 400 over the last, what, I think it's July, actually. Um, you know, he's been consistent all season long, so I like to see that. I wonder if Justin Turner, you know, has had an influence on that. But, man, I mean, with this performance that Turner's given you all season long, I don't miss J.D. Martinez one bit. <laughs> I and, and J.D.'s not having a really bad year either. I mean, he had some injuries early on, I guess. But, um, man, I just – Turner's been unbelievable. Unbelievable. Micah. Terry, you almost stole what I wanted to say there because I – wouldn't do I, that. <laughs> I – this might be uh, – I might be stretching too far here, but I think the emergence of Duran, Wong, Casas, I, I really think it, Turner has a lot to do with that. I think his presence is – it's just such a – if you watched his post-game interview, he's just so consistent with his approach and his presence. He's just confident, and it's a quiet confidence. You just – you know what you're going to get with Justin Turner. And you go back to the Dodgers teams – the Dodgers are notorious for having guys turn their careers around. And who turned their career around first? Justin Turner. Justin Turner was a role player for the New York Mets. And all of a sudden, he develops that leg kick and becomes a – did he win a batting title? He was really close to a batting title if he didn't win it with the Mets and goes to L.A. And he just was so steady for so many years – and alongside of him, so many players turn their careers around. Chris Taylor, you know, is one that comes to mind. But so many guys just turn their careers around. And now you look at the Red Sox, so many 
hey, rookies or you know young players are taking that next step. And I really think it's because of Turner. I think he is just a great leader. And we heard a lot of that when the Red Sox signed him. He's 38. How many more good years does he have? But he's a leader. He won so many games in L.A., and he was he was at the core of so many division titles. And he's bringing those same qualities to Boston. And I just – I love watching him in the batter's box every game. And he's slowly becoming Mr. RBI for the Red Sox because he's now seventh in the AL in RBI with 66. So he is cruising. I just – I have nothing but good things to say about Turner. He has been on some some incredible run since end of May, beginning of June. It's been it's been very impressive. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Terry, that um I don't miss JD Martinez one bit. JD Martinez was a mercenary for this team. Um I never felt a, a close attachment to him. 2018, he was great. What what him and Mookie did that year was Phenomenal to watch, but the rest of, I mean, did he live up to the contract? I guess, but let's not forget 2020. He quit on the team. He 100% quit. He didn't want to play in the COVID year. He didn't get his special little iPad and he quit Had a horrible year. I think his last year here, I think he was one of the guys that didn't like the rookies. Didn't like Tristan Casas sunbathing before games um, you know, com- was always complaining in the clubhouse, complaining in the dugout. I think he was a bad presence on this team his final year here. So that's why I'm so much happier with Justin Turner, because I agree with you guys. I think Turner is like the perfect teammate. And I think that he is having a positive influence on Costas, Duran, Wong, you know, all these young guys in the lineup. So I, he's, he's been a great addition. And again, it's sort of similar to that, um, you know, the luck that the Red Sox have had, because if that fastball in spring training is like two inches higher, we may not be having Justin Turner at all this season. We were very lucky that that, you know, he got hit in the cheekbone and he did have to miss the rest of spring, missed a couple of games, but he's come back and has had one of the best years of his career. So again, just more, more luck uh, for the Red Sox there, but yeah, he's been, he's been unbelievable and it's just, you know, for a guy who's 38, for a guy who, you know, we, I think when, when we signed him, I said, you know, I like him, but I'm just not sure how much he has left in the tank. I mean, you know, at what point does, you know, the drop off the cliff happen? Hasn't happened yet. So um, he's been a perfect addition to this team. And um, I, I think that every at bat, you just feel like, you know, especially with runners on base, feel like something good's going to happen. You know, that Turner's going to put, put together professional at bat he's going to drive the guy in you know do whatever he has to do um you know even playing second base at times which i didn't think he was capable of doing anymore he made a nice play over there tonight you know ranging to his to his right you know the the jump throw he had to use the dirt to get it there but it worked so um he's just proven that uh if you don't think he has it left in him he still does so he's been great to see and uh just giving you know, giving this Red Sox team exactly what they need. I just also want to add, just to underscore everything. Um, it doesn't matter what anybody does for the rest of the season for me at this point. If we're in October and it's a high leverage spot in a late inning and we need one or two runs across the plate, 
and I can pick the guy that's in the batter's box, it's still going to be Justin Turner for me all day long. That's who I'm going to want. I love Devers and his postseason numbers. As I've pointed out tons of times, and I'll do it tons of times again in the future, if you look at his postseason numbers, and it's not a tiny sample size anymore for him, very similar to David Ortiz's, Devers I'm talking about, average on base. He doesn't have the signature moments yet that Ortiz had, you know, the two walk-offs in 04, um, the home run that sent Torrey Hunter over the bullpen wall. Doesn't have that yet, and he will, you know, over the course of the next 10 years, but um, I'm not saying Devers isn't super clutch, but I, w- I want it to be Turner based on what I've seen. Yeah, I don't blame you. Absolutely. Coming in at number two this week is Nick Pavetta, who once again um, just dazzled out of the bullpen um, Tuesday night's game. Pitched five innings, scoreless baseball, five strikeouts. Um, Pavetta's numbers since moving to the bullpen and since the Red Sox have done this opener thing with him are absolutely insane. So it's now 41 innings pitched. He's got an ERA of 1.98, a whip of 0.8, and opponents are hitting 128 against him. I mean, he's just been filthy. And I don't know if he figured something out in his move to the bullpen, if he sort of, you know, took an extra look at his stuff and figured something out. I don't know if it's just that he's pitching his ass off because he wants to be back in the starting rotation, you know, full time as a real starter, not just a bulk guy, but the way he's pitching, he just pitches with so so much more confidence now, like starts out at bats with that big breaking ball and then freezes hitters with the fastball. And he's the fastball has like pinpoint location now. Uh, it's it's really just what a turnaround for him and what a gift for the Red Sox who, you know, Chris Sale goes down, Hauk down, Whitlock down. You know, they they were really stretched thin pitching-wise even after, you know, moving Pavetta. And for him to be doing what he's doing, you know, with the opener and, and with that whole situation, for him to just embrace it and to provide what he has been providing for them, it's been – incredible and now all of a sudden you know we went from sort of circling those bullpen games like uh this is probably going to be a loss it's not going to go very well now you can sort of look at and say it's actually working at least for the pavetta games it's it's working somehow I, i don't know why i don't know exactly what you know what makes that different but it is working so now all of a sudden those aren't automatic losses you can actually look at that and say we're probably going to get a good start out of nick pavetta tonight so I don't know how much longer it will last. Pavetta does tend to do this. He does tend to go on streaks where he has that really one, you know, hot month. And then, you know, his next couple of starts after that, he reverts to the old Nick Pavetta. So we'll see if that rears its ugly head again. But for now, he's in the trust tree. And, you know, I, I at least feel pretty good when he's taking the ball. Um, so that's that's a big plus for the Red Sox right now. Micah, thoughts on Pavetta? The Red Sox are 14 and five in the month of July. And with all the guys you said that went down before July, Nick Pavetta is a big reason as to why they are 14 and five. He has been outstanding. Whatever, whatever he found in the bullpen, I don't want Alex Cora to change anything when these pitchers start to come back 
and and are ready to contribute. I know I've had a, a bunch of people that responded with, well, now wh why don't we just move him to the rotation? He's found it. Why would you consider doing that? Why would you want to mess with any type of mojo, whatever you want to call it, just keep doing exactly what they're, they've been doing because it's working? Whether it's the fact that he's facing the one, two, three, potentially four hitters one less time because he's coming into the game in the second inning against the, the five, six, seven hitters, if that's helping him, keep it going. There is no reason to change anything. So when Hauk, Whitlock, Sale, whatever they want to do, if they want to go out and get a starter, I want Nick Pavetta to be a bulk guy. I want that to be a thing one out of every five days because it's worked. And until it doesn't work, there's no reason to go away from it. And if that means Chris Sale goes to the bullpen, so be it. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but whatever the, the, whatever the rotation shakes out, Nick Pavetta needs to be the bulk guy. I'm fine with Bernardino being the opener because it's it's been – I just can't get over the 1.98 ERA. I mean, that is just – he's been their best pitcher in the last four to six weeks, and I can't believe I'm saying that. I just would have never thought that when he went to the bullpen. Terry. Well, here's the bad news. Um, he will probably be starting games on that 16-game stretch that – is gonna I think starts this week actually with the uh with the West Coast swing. That's what Cora said last week, so maybe that could change. Maybe a move happens and, and that allows you know Pavetta to stay. Excuse me. Sneeze there. Um it, and then what I, I should have said instead of a move, maybe an acquisition happens and you know we get a starter and then Pavetta stays, but Fighting off sneezes. Sorry for the awkwardness. Um, I heard if you say peanut butter, if you have to sneeze, just say peanut butter. <laughs> it works. It works. So if, if all my baseball takes suck for the rest of the year, just remember peanut butter uh, when you when you sneeze. I've um, never heard that, Terry. <laughs> yeah. Someone told me. I'm like, you know, because when some people sneeze, I'm giving a take on sneezing here. Um, when some people sneeze, you know, you can see it coming cause they're trying to fight it off. You know, they make that ugly face, you know, and, uh, that's what I was doing. And uh, this was like ninth grade study hall. And the kids like, no, no, say peanut butter, say peanut butter. And I'm like peanut butter. And it went away. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, where was it? I don't even remember what I was talking about here. Nick Pavetta. <laughs> yes. All right. Nick Pavetta. Um, it's worked brilliantly, and I, I, it's one of those things with him that works brilliantly until it doesn't. And if you think about it, you know, you're missing Hauk, you're missing Whitlock, you're missing Sale, and we're probably still several days up to a few weeks from getting some of them back. It, it's worked perfectly at the time you needed it to work perfectly you know, as far as Pavetta dominating in that role. And, um, you know, maybe Bernardino deserves credit too here because he's been, I don't know if he's, he might've given up a run in the first inning, maybe one run. We could probably look that up, but he's been so solid. Like they're like the tag team champions of the bullpen game. <laughs> so I, I just, 
I like it. And it's funny because Pavetta is a head case. Do we agree on that? Like, like oh, yeah. stuffed yeah. noodles in his head. But he makes it work some of the time. Remember Mark Melanson? That that didn't work. He had to go. That was the 2013 World Series year, I think. Uh, and then he went on to be this great eighth and ninth inning guy on so many other teams. Um, you know, just couldn't do it. And obviously, you know, the most infamous case, you know, ever, Daniel Bard. Um, but, and even Kimbrell at times, I mean, he's like, I don't know which way to go with it. I mean, you know, Kimbrell was like Pavetta light as far as the head case stuff. You know, he would just go on these stretches where, He'd constantly have traffic on the bases and, you know, so, but Pavetta, he makes it work. And like I said, now was the time we needed Pavetta to do that with all of those guys out and he's done it and put a percentage on it. I, it's got to be pretty low, but does Bloom look at him and, and say, I want to sell high on him and he's gone this week. Does that happen? I'd say I'd say twenty percent, and I think that's pretty low. Yeah, I mean you can't put it at zero because never say never. I just think that with I am coming out saying that they wanted to add starting pitching and pitching in general. I can't see dealing away a guy who's red hot right now for a guy who you don't know if he's going to come in here and be red hot. Like, would you trade Nick Pavetta in a package for Jordan Montgomery? I I don't think no. I would. No, I, yeah, like I, I would rather keep Pavetta. I, I think with Pavetta, it would be prospects. It would take a very motivated GM to call up and say, hey, let's talk about Nick Pavetta. And then, you know, I, I think that would be more for, for prospects than anything. You're not yeah. you're not looking for a bat at this point. So you're, no, you're getting the story back and your offense is off the charts anyway. It would be a weird message. Though, you know, if, if uh, the way he's been going, trading him away for prospects at the deadline, I don't know. I, I don't know if they could stomach doing that. Even if a team got stupid and called up and said, hey, we'll give you our number 10 prospect for Nick Pavetta as well as some other guys. I just I don't think they can do it right now. I think you get you got to try to get into the playoffs as much as you can. And right now he's part of that. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the next week or so. Uh, let's wrap up our top five with the number one spot. Micah, who's coming at number one? Coming in at number one is Tristan Casas. And is there a more comfortable hitter in the batter's box in all of baseball than Tristan Casas right now? I'm not sure there is. He is completely locked in. He is rarely swinging out of the zone. He is hitting the ball to all fields with power. And this is the hitter that I think a lot of Red Sox fans were hoping for at the beginning of the season. It's just taken time. He's still 23 years old uh, and he's learning to hit at the big league level. And it's hard to do that. And it's finally starting to show some, some big improvements and the Red Sox have really needed it. They, they, their offense has taken off in July and he's a big part of it, especially after the trade deadline. Uh, he's got his average up to 253 and with a 360 OBP. If I would have told you over the last month he's hitting 250 with a 360 OBP, I think you would be like, yeah, I'll take that. 
but he's raised all of his numbers on the entire season now to 253 with a 360 OBP. Where he came from back in end of May to where he is now, just an incredible run. And this is the guy that you build around. This is the type of hitter that is in the, the middle of your lineup for years to come. I'm not trying to put pressure on him. I, I saw someone say on Twitter today, like, Tristan Casas has to be moved in the middle of the order. No, he doesn't. Keep him down six and seven. He doesn't. There's not as many ex- expectations down there. Just let him do his thing because you don't have to change much with this offense. The offense is crushing the ball right now contributions left and right everyone is is hitting don't change anything just keep putting the same lineup out there and let these guys play with confidence and that's what Tristan Tristan Costas is doing right now he is playing with a ton of confidence Terry so a lot of us were really hard on Costas the first two and a half months of the season And I don't know if I was the hardest on him, but I was definitely really hard on him. And I'm also the one that operates the Twitter account. So, ah, man, so many of those tweets from April and May are getting dug up right now and I'm getting chirped. But having said that, all winter long, I mean, Casas was the number one name brought up in trades, uh, specifically with the Marlins. And I steadfastly said all winter long, I am not willing to trade Tristan Casas under any circumstances. He's untouchable to me. Now, if you throw out a ridiculous name, um, Alcantara or something, okay, well, you know, that you'll, you might sell your mother for Alcantara. But within reason, you're, I wasn't trading Tristan Casas. And... I wonder what the ceiling is. I, I don't know what it will be, you know, next year. I, I mean, I don't. Can he get over three hundred? I, I don't know. I think his the first part of the year was was really bad, but um, it's going to be interesting to see what his his numbers are perennially going forward. And I said in the last show we did uh, with Charlie and Cody. I think the lowest point of his career is behind him from a performance standpoint. I really think, I don't think he's ever going to get that low ever again um, to the point where, I mean, he was Jackie Bradley lost as far as, as far as swinging the bat. He he's consistently drawn walks all year, even in the slump. That was a saving grace. His on base average has been, you know, a hundred points above his average. Or at least it was at that point. So the walks and, you know, the, I can't say plate discipline overall, but, but he, he's just, he's really putting it all together and it'll be interesting to see what, what he looks like, uh, even against lefties going forward. Eventually he has to be an everyday player. But for now, I'm fine with Turner playing first still. I, I wouldn't mess with the mojo at this point, you know, as you're you're gearing up for that final run uh, towards October. I was wrong about Tristan Casas. It's finally, finally come to that point because I, like you, Terry, like I was hard on him 
first couple of months, I was coming on this podcast saying, you've got to send him down. What are you doing? Why is he still up here? Um, yeah, I'm glad that the Red Sox didn't listen to me because he's finally figured it out. It did take a while, but I mean, you watch that guy tonight, you know, he's staring down Spencer Strider and he just looks completely at ease in that batter's box. He was not, you know, jumpy at any pitches. He was not, you know, I don't know, out ahead of anything. Um, it's one of the few times I thought ESPN did a really good job breaking down his whole routine in the batter's box of, okay, he always kind of puts his right leg out like that, takes a deep breath, mutters to himself, then gets back in at 11 seconds, faces the pitcher. Then, you know, when the pitcher comes set, he brings that right leg in a little bit. And it's like, it's the same routine, every single pitch, every single at bat. And maybe that's been the difference. Maybe, you know, whoever it was, whether it was, you know, the, the hitting coach or Cora or Costas himself just kind of saying, you know what, like, stop overthinking, stop, you know, focusing too much on who's on the mound or what's going on. Just stick to your routine because they talked about on the broadcast, how he said that routine is what made him so successful in AAA. You know, that's why he was, he was raking down there. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was just, he needed to go back to his routine, go back to what he was comfortable with. And if that's the case, good. Do that little routine every single time. I, I don't care. Like just, I don't care who's on the mound. If it's Spencer Strider or some bum, just keep doing it because, you know, the power is slowly starting to emerge. Um, the walks are coming more than the strikeouts are now. Um, still plays pretty good defensively over there at first base. So that's that's been pretty solid most of the year. Um, he just looks so much more at ease. And it could be the same thing with him that we talked about with Devers earlier, that the rest of the team and the rest of the lineup is going so well that – the weight of the world doesn't feel like it's on Tristan Costas' shoulders anymore because Devers has that pressure from the contract, you know, the $300 million player. Costas has that pressure because he's supposed to be the golden boy. He's supposed to be the future of the franchise. And when the team was struggling early on, when, you know, the lineup wasn't exactly firing on all cylinders, maybe Costas felt like he had to do too much. And that's why he was striking out a lot. And, wasn't drawing as many walks. So now the team's, you know, rolling here and the rest of the lineup is is contributing. Maybe he's, he, just like Devers, is able to step back, take a breath, and go back to being who he really is. And if that's the case, then that's great news for the Red Sox because I think by the end of the year, his numbers are going to look pretty impressive. And we can officially say that, you know, your corner infield is what you can build around now going forward. And, uh, you know, it's if if that's the case, and you know, hopefully Red Sox also sneak into the playoffs while that happens. Then they played it right. You know, they did the right thing, keeping them up here and, and being patient with them. So, hats off to them for for sticking with them and for proving all of us wrong because um, it's been great to see so far. Also, you know, when you talk about how bad he was, you also have to look at the defense and that's been cleaned up too. like he was a mess like there was you he couldn't be any worse in any aspect uh, earlier in the season. Just terrible all the way across the board. Didn't look like a major leaguer was costing you games so many different ways. <laughs> so it, it really is a night and day turnaround. 
for him. And I can't believe he figured it out without being optioned. Uh, you know, it's just, it's really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And that's true about the defense, like not, not cutting off throws when he's supposed to be and throwing across the diamond when he shouldn't be, you know, that's all gone. He's just now a solid, you know, steady first baseman over there. So yeah, that's, that's huge to see as well. I wonder when we were, we had a couple conversations, should they send him down? Should they not send him down? And the Red Sox flat out, they came out and said, we are not sending Tristan Casas down. We are, he is our first baseman. And I just wonder like in the struggles, what that actually did for his confidence. Like I'm playing the worst I've ever played in my entire life and they're sticking with me. I just wonder if that was like the, the little assurance he needed to say, okay, I can't do any worse. And they're still sticking with me. Now I go, now I'm going to, I'm going to turn it around because since they made that statement that he is going to, we're going to stick with him. He's kind of turned it around. It's been uh, that vote of confidence might've been what he needed. There really wasn't an option though. I mean, do you want to, do you want to give Bobby Dahlbeck a third chance? Like I, unless you wanted to just put Turner there, I guess you could have done that. Yeah, I guess. But, um, but there was no one to call up. I, I would say you, you would have had to have, you know, put Turner there or made that rare early season acquisition to, to try to shore it up a Carlos Santana type player perhaps, but, um, but yeah, so turned it around. And like I said, I can't wait to see what the ceiling truly is. Like, is he going to be a 300 hitter every year with a, a 380 on base? Is, is, are those going to be what his career averages end up being? Could be. I mean, you actually, so you mentioned Carlos Santana early Carlos Santana could be a good comp. He was always a high on base guy, you know? Some some power there, but not like 35 home run type power. It was usually, you know, 20 to 25. Took a lot of walks, um, you know, was decent defensively. That could be sort of what we're looking at. You know, maybe early days, Carlos Santana, that type of player, which I think that's pretty valuable to have. Um, but yeah, you're right. We don't really know what the ceiling is. It, it could be even higher than that. Because um, if he starts out next season playing like this, taking walks and, you know, hitting home runs and, you know, just giving these kind of at-bats, then, yeah, he's he's going to far surpass that. So it'll be really interesting to see what he does the rest of the season, particularly as the schedule gets tougher later on, um, and then rolling into next year. You know, can he carry that confidence over? One more throw the spaghetti against the wall thing before we wrap. Can he closely, and this has always been, you know, my fantasy, can he ever closely resemble what Aaron Judge is doing in New York? I think the only problem with that is the power difference. I don't think Casas is a, I don't think he's ever going to be a 40 to 50 home run guy. I could see him hitting 30 to 35, but... I can't see him hitting that much power. And I actually think he's a better, I don't know, on base guy than judges. So I could eat, I could see Costas having a higher average, higher on base, but less power and less run production than judge. Maybe the better way to, to frame it uh, would be, I mean, 
I could just see him being one of the most feared people in baseball and judges that it's a presence thing for me. That's, I guess what I was trying to get at. And I think, I think 35 to 40, I think he can live there. I, you know, judge has gone, he's exceeded 50 at least two or three times. And then, you know, broke the, you know, the legit home run record, as I like to call it, you know, with Roger Maris. But um, I don't know. I just pitchers right now, there's still a lot of them are still seeing him for the first time. So, you know, they don't really I don't know that his presence is really a big thing yet, but I think it will be, especially within the division. Let's hope so, because if that's the case, if they've got something close to that, um, that's good news for the Red Sox. And uh, I would say at that point, maybe think about an extension early. You know, if if they really believe that he can be that, that's one of your early extension candidates that I think they should look at. So, but uh, it's been it's been great to see what he's been doing, and let's hope that he can keep it up. So, with that, we will wrap. Um, Keep an eye out for our series preview show. That'll be coming out soon. Uh, the Red Sox are heading out to the West Coast, so we'll be previewing the Giants series that starts on Friday this weekend. And we'll also have our Bastards Roundtable episode coming out this weekend as well. So keep all, an eye out for those. All trade talk on the roundtable. Yes, yeah, all trade talk with the deadline right around the corner. So. Should be a fun episode. And be on the lookout for emergency episodes. We did one last night with Kike Hernandez. I, I'm guessing there'll be at least one or two more of those before the deadline. So going to gonna be a busy week for baseball content. So glad you're all here with us. Uh, I think I said this on the last show. All-time record in the last 30 days for downloads. Uh, so um, love it. Glad you're hanging out with us. Yep. And yeah, like you said, if anything happens, we'll have you guys covered. So keep an eye out for everything. Until then, take care.